Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the unfailing purposes of God as we pick up in Genesis chapter 27, verse 11. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And Mordecai, I said to her, do you think that at this time you can all together escape the edict of the king? You're a Jewess too. And he said, if you should fail at this time, their deliverance shall arise from another quarter. God will save his people. He's not going to let his people get wiped out. If you fail, God is still not going to fail. But you in your failure, will lose your own life. Sort of he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He will lose his life for my sake, Jesus said, the same will find it. And Esther was in that very position. Mordecai said, look, don't think that you're going to escape this decree. But if you at this time altogether fail, their deliverance shall arise. He had that confidence that God will accomplish his purpose. Though you may fail, the purposes of God cannot fail. But what happens is that you lose out the reward and the blessing that could be yours by being that instrument that God uses to accomplish his work. Now the work of God is going to be accomplished. What God has willed and purposed shall come to pass. We can be the instruments through which it happens. If we yield ourselves to God, he'll work through us. If we fail to yield ourselves, God will still do his work, and yet we have lost the reward and the benefit and the joy of being the instrument. But the work of God is never dependent upon our deception or our conniving or our scheming. We don't have to scheme and connive to get the work of God done. I look around today at people who are endeavoring to do the work of God. And there are so many people who have great visions for what they can do for God. All they need is the money. And so they've gone into all kinds of schemes to raise money in order to do the work of God. And when you read their letters, the whole insinuation of the letter is, here is a glorious work of God that is depending now upon you sending in your contribution. And if you fail, the work of God is not going to be done. And they really lay the heavy ones on you, you know, of, of you've got to send it in. And here's the work of God, and it can't be done unless you respond. If it's a true work of God, it's going to be done. If it is a true work of God, then it is worth responding to. But yet, God is able to do his work independent. God is not dependent upon us, ever. We are dependent on him always. So their mistake or their, their fault here was not a fault of not believing God, nor was it a fault of not believing the purposes of God. They were both 
faithful, believing God, believing the purposes of God. Their mistake was thinking that God couldn't fulfill his purposes without their help. I know what you want to do, God, and I just don't see how you can do it without my help. And so I get in there and I start scheming and conniving to help God get his work done. Never. He doesn't need that kind of help. And so Jacob pulled it off and Esau blessed Jacob. Verse 26. I mean, Isaac, his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and he kissed his father, and his father smelled <laughs> the smell of his raiment. He's looking for that earthy smell. And he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. You smell just like the outdoor fields. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. And let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over your brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. So somewhat the blessing that God had pronounced upon Abraham is passed on to him. That is the blessing upon those that would bless him, the curse upon those that would curse him. But giving to him the fatness of the earth, prosperity, and servants. And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of the blessing of Jacob. And Jacob was scarcely gone out from the presence of his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting, and he also had made the savory meat. He brought it to his father, and he said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who are you? And he said, Well, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly, began to shake. He said, who and where is he that has taken the venison and brought it to me and I have eaten all of it before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and he has taken away your blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly called heel catcher? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Haven't you reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord. And all of his brothers have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Have you not but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as we deal with the men of faith in the Old Testament, 
This particular incident is brought uh, into view. In verse 16 and 17 of chapter 12, where he's talking about the men of faith in the Old Testament. Actually, going back uh, to verse 13 is where the, uh, well, 12, uh, we're not in the, 11 is men of faith. 12 is getting into uh, the chastening of the Lord. And he tells us to follow peace, verse 14, with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now be careful about yourself. Follow after peace with all men. Don't allow bitterness to fill your heart. Any root of bitterness coming in will trouble you and will defile many people around you. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meal sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, he sought what carefully? Not repentance. He wasn't crying here repentant tears at all. What was he crying about? He was crying about the loss of the blessing. Many people get confused. They think, oh, poor Esau, he tried to repent, and he was crying, you know, in repentance, and he couldn't find a place of repentance, so he sought repentance with tears. No, he never did seek repentance. What he was seeking was the blessing, and what he was crying about was the fact that there was no blessing for him. Had he really repented, then God surely would have done something for him. God has said that a broken and a contrite spirit he will not turn away. No man has yet truly repented before God, but what God did not accept him and bless him. But his was not the repentance at all, nor tears of repentance. And don't get confused thinking, oh, the poor guy was just there weeping before God and crying out in repentance, but he, he couldn't receive it. No, that's not so. You read the story here, and the tears were not at all tears of repentance. Actually, they were tears of anger. They were tears of bitterness. They were tears of a lost blessing that he was desiring. He really didn't seek spiritual things. He wasn't really seeking God. He was only seeking the blessing of his father. And when it was gone, when his brother had taken it, his tears were tears of bitterness, anger, hatred against his brother, but not at all tears of repentance. There was no place of repentance. And that's what the scripture is saying. He didn't he didn't really repent at all. There was no change of Esau's heart, only a weeping over the fact that he had lost the blessing. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion 
that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days for mourning for my father are at hand, and then will I slay my brother. My dad's soon going to die, and as soon as he does, I'm going to kill that brother of mine. Didn't want to do it while his dad was alive, because his dad might curse him. So I'll wait till dad is dead, and then I'm going to kill him. Notice the bitterness. This is what Hebrews is warning about, lest any root of bitterness. The profane person Esau, he became very embittered over this, a root of bitterness defiling him. Now, this hatred of Esau's descendants for Israel continued. Esau became the father of the Edomites. And there was a great hostility through history of the Edomites against the Israelites. Many times the Edomites sought to invade the land of Israel. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and needed to pass through the land of the Edomites, the king of Edom met them with his armies and prohibited their passage through the land. The Edomites, of course, have since passed off of the scene. The last Edomite that we know is Herod, King Herod of Idumea and his family, and there ended the Edomite race. But of course, God has preserved Israel to the present time. Now, this threat of Esau was heard by his mother, Rebekah, and so she called Jacob, and she said unto him, Behold, your brother Esau is comforting himself in the thought that he's going to kill you. He's, just, he's finding comfort in that right now. He's really mad, he's really bitter, and he's just comforting himself by, by his intention to kill you. Therefore, she said, Obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother, to Haran. And tarry with him for a few days until your brother's fury is turned away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forget that which was done to him, and then will I send and fetch thee from there, for why should I be deprived of you both in one day? And Rebekah said unto Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from one of these wild girls around here, then what good is my life going to be to me? And so she's setting things up so that Isaac will send Jacob away in peace, saying that these daughters-in-law were just really a real vexation and a problem and all. And she wanted her son Jacob to go and get a wife from her own family. Now, somehow... It takes away a little bit from the romance of the story as it goes to realize that at this point, Jacob was about 70 years old, getting ready to run away from home. <laughs> but these patriarchs were living to twice the age, which is 
normal today. So you have to really sort of cut the age factor in half in order that you might totally understand the virility and all of, of the person at 70 years because they lived to 140, 150 years old. Thus, 70 years wasn't really that old to them at that time. But uh, it does sort of throw a different light on the whole thing. You don't picture some teenage kid running off from home at this stage. Uh, he was close to 70 years old. Rebecca said, stay there for a few days until your brother's anger has subsided. But Esau did not cool off in a hurry, for word never did come to Jacob from his mother to come home, because as Jacob was gone, his mother died. And so he never saw his mother again, unfortunately. And of course, the sad byproduct of this bit of deception that they had connived together in is that the mother was deprived of ever seeing her son whom she loved, Jacob, again. Uh, she died while Jacob was in Haran. Now, if you remember the story earlier, when the servant had gone to Haran to get a bride for Isaac, that Rebekah came out to the well and he said, give me a drink. And she said, sure, and I'll get water for your camels too. And that was the little thing that he had set up that he would know the will of God for, you know, the one who was to be the bride of Isaac. And how that he, the servant explained this whole thing. When, and he gave to her a gold nose ring and a couple of golden bracelets. And she ran home and said, oh, one of Abraham's servants is here and, and he's looking uh, you know, for, well, they didn't know what his purpose was, but he's just here and he's visiting. He's got a lot of camels and, and he, she showed the gold earrings and the golden uh, nose ring. And Laban, her brother, came running out to meet him and said, oh, come, stay at our house. Laban, seeing the gold, he was, he was attracted to this and was a very gracious host and all. And Laban was, was active in the negotiations to send Rebekah back. She was his sister. And so he is the uncle of Jacob. And it's important that you sort of fix that relationship in your mind as we move along now in the story. Laban is the brother of Jacob's mother, the brother of Rebekah. And he will be coming soon into our scene. So Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him, and he charged him, and he said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Now, evidently, they were able to keep some kind of a communication, perhaps by the caravans that would travel. You'd give a letter, and it would be carried, and, you'd, and, and they would probably deliver mail back and forth because he knew that Laban had had some daughters at this point. 
So you go back and take one of Laban's daughters for your wife. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that you may be a multitude of people. And so actually he is continuing now to bless uh, Jacob, even giving further blessing, the blessing of God upon thee, the fruitfulness and becoming a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with them that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. So notice that now Isaac is adding to the previous blessing, adding unto Jacob the blessings that God had given unto Abraham and unto Jacob and his seed, this land that God had promised unto Abraham. And so there is an extension of the earlier blessing where when Esau said, isn't there anything left? Jacob couldn't think of anything. But now, I mean, Isaac couldn't think of anything, but now when Jacob comes before him, there is the added blessing, the blessing of Abraham to be passed upon to Jacob and his descendants. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 27 through 28 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. God bless you and keep His hand upon your life. And may you be conscious of his presence, not just a thing from your head knowing, but in your heart experiencing the nearness, the closeness of God. May the Lord give you strength for every trial and test. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? 
It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.